Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here for our first ever on-camera episode. You also might be listening and not watching, but if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for being here. Speaking of thanks for being here... Justina, thanks for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we haven't done a comedy shop talk in forever. Yes. And we wanted to do one, and we finally decided to, and then I had this idea of doing it as an experiment for on-camera episodes. So uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Definitely. So just like previous comedy shop talk episodes, we're talking about different topics in the comedy world. Uh, whether they are kind of local to us or something we're seeing or going through or something that's just happening in the world. So we're, we've got topics, going to address each one and have a little fun because that's what it's all about. It's all about fun. <laughs> so that's how the episode's going to go. Let's jump right in. Alrighty, so I am the keeper of the topics for this episode, and so I will start with the first one. Mm -hmm. And the first topic is the WGA and AMT... Oh gosh, okay. The WGA and the AMPTP are closer to making a deal. So do you find that to be promising, or are you more like, I'll believe it when I see it? What's your take, Well, so as we are recording this, (laughs) This is Saturday. The first day of fall. Yes. And we don't know yet how the negotiating has gone on. But my understanding is the producers and the Writers Guild both met up on Thursday and met up on Friday and had plans to meet up again today on Saturday. And they say a deal is closer. That's what people close to the situation are saying is that things are closer to a deal being made, I do find it promising. I think this round of negotiations has gone on longer than the previous round. I was about to ask if this has already beat that one. I think it has. Yeah. I feel like the last time they sat down together, it ended kind of abruptly, and it really concerned people. Um, So I think, I do think that it is going to get worked out Um, Just because it seems like it's going on longer. It seems like they really want some kind of outcome here. I have to say, if they do work it out this weekend, (laughs) I think it would be pretty funny. Just because, like, Bill Maher, if he had just waited two weeks. Oh, I know. (laughs) If he had waited ten days. Yeah. And then... All of this crap that he's been getting. Same with Drew Barrymore. All this crap and that I he's getting. I just feel bad for Bill Maher because this makes him look bad. And, <laughs> and there's he's nothing ever done. He's never looked look bad <laughs> from anything he's ever said or done. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, no, they would have, especially in Drew Barrymore's case, no, avoided, because so, she really took the brunt of the criticism about that decision yes. to get back into it. was it. interesting. I read some Instagram comments, and then I decided to um, jump out the window. But before I did that, I a lot of the comments were like, well, 
it was like the other side, like supporting Drew Barrymore when she had made the original decision. Like, you there's um, boom mic guys there. Yeah, the crew has yeah. to get paid. And that was something that Bill Maher brought up too. But it just seems like he had a lot of bad takes. Yeah. Also, because he was saying some of the stuff that the writers want is kooky or something. It's like, come on, man. Mm. I understand he did mention the below-the-line people that he that are suffering, and that is true, and that is valid. I don't think he actually cares about them. Yeah. But he brought them up, and I think I might be wrong, and we got to move on to the next topic, but I think Bill Maher said something along the lines when he made the decision to come back that there was no end in sight to this strike. Wow. And if he's LOL. 10 days off <laughs> from saying that, it's just, anyway. I have one quick question before I move on. This, if the, uh, if the deal is worked out, the SAG strike is still taking place, I right? believe so, yeah. yeah. So that would be the next thing that they would have yeah. to iron out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. All right, next topic. Topic one, check. Topic two is uh, local to New York. Yeah. UCB auditions are happening right now, and they have a new theater space in the Lower East Side. Second City recently announced the cast and shows for their Brooklyn-based theater, which is wild. Um, um, Asylum NYC still plans on opening up in the Pits, old striker location. In the meantime, The Magnet, The Pit, and Brooklyn Comedy Collective are still going strong. Do you think that having so many improv theaters is good or bad for improv in New York? I honestly think it's good for improv in New York yeah. City. Uh, our old friend, our dear friend Harrison Brookie, who's one of the founders of Alchemy Comedy, is an executive producer there for some time. Maybe still is. I don't know. I think he's always considered the de facto leader of Alchemy. But nevertheless, he was saying when a comedy club opened up down the street, he said, that's good for comedy in Greenville. Oh, yeah. And it's 100% true because when more is happening... It draws new attention, and it's like what they say about the tide raising, a rising tide raises all ships, mm. and that's true. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we have all these theaters here, and then we're going to have like three kind of new, and Asylum isn't new, UCB right. isn't new, but it'll be two new venues that are returning, and then one brand new venue to the area, and... It gives more people a chance to find their home. Yes. It's sort of like Philip Markle, who's running BCC. He was talking about how in Chicago, he loved all the theaters, but Asylum was the one that he found uh, his home. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, again, loved all of them, but that was his home. Yeah. And when someone when there are more options here someone has a better chance of finding their home if they haven't already they mm-hmm. might like a theater that they went to or even love it but may not feel as at home so if second city gets here and it really strikes someone's fancy that's great for them and then whoever that's also true for the audience too you know like an audience can just like second city style the best right but when there are performers that are going to all these different theaters and people who haven't checked out any theaters are like, oh, Second City, I've heard them, I'll check them out. They'll go look for other stuff sometimes. Yes. And it'll help all of us. So I think it'll be a great thing. Um, it's not a competition. There are enough people in New York City <laughs> to perform at all the different theaters. And enough theaters to accommodate them. Right, exactly. And enough stages. Like, if you, you, there's even opportunities to perform and see um, shows 
that are comedy based that aren't at none of these theaters. Right. You know what I mean? So there's plenty of opportunities. So many opportunities, and do that's you, only going to be do better. Do you hear people saying that it's bad? Like, or they're like, oh no, this theater's coming to town, or oh no, this theater's expanding. Because most of the talk oh, I've no. heard has been positive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's I've good. not heard anyone say that it's bad, yeah. actually. So it is, it, I just think it's going to be a good thing for all of us. Yeah. And um, I hope it does lead to bigger and better stuff. And it, it also, there are people who want to perform at multiple theaters. And oh, yeah. And have more of a chance to do that. So it'll be, it'll be great. Our friend Julia Schroeder and previous guest, she's mm-hmm. like the she's queen of... Of the pit. Of bouncing around. And, and, like, and Magnet. Yeah. And yeah, and I bet she'll do stuff at some other places. Oh, yeah. Too. We've got friends who are bouncing around, too, and... and uh, uh, Zave, previous oh, yeah. guest of the podcast, auditioned yesterday at UCB. Fu Goto has one today. Oh, wow. And she was a cast member at UCB. And she was, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there are people who are doing stuff all over, and it's that's a great thing. That's yeah. A good thing. I don't know. <laughs> if you're doing sketch and improv and you have multiple theaters, I don't know if have enough time in the day. I but know. <laughs> that's, that's the, the only problem. problem. Yeah. <laughs> But, the problem yeah. with all these theaters is, like, how am I going to see all the shows and, you know, <laughs> do all the things. But, but yeah, I think it's it just is great that uh, people are going to be exposed to a new style and to new performers. And uh, that's going to be awesome. And audiences are going to be exposed to new things yeah. and find new things. That's going to be awesome. No, it's great for the city. Um, all righty, topic number three, Ooh, final yeah. topic. It's a big one, though. Yes, this is. Okay, so uh, I would say, yeah, the most loaded of the topics, for Mm -hmm. sure. So there have been a lot of stories rocking the entertainment business, particularly in the comedy world, from Russell Brand accusations to the Jimmy Fallon expose to and Hassan Minhaj admitting he fabricated stories in his act. Wow. Um, What are your takes? What do you make of all that? It's a lot, right? So I'm going to start with the Fallon side of it. Yeah. Full disclosure, I'm a big Jimmy Fallon fan. I do love him. Also, but, like, just be- before we hop in, I'm glad I'm I, I see how you like limited it to comedy because like there's plenty of other yeah. things going on right now. Yeah, I mean, we like, alluded this is comedy alone. Right, we alluded to the um, Drew Barrymore, yeah, Drew Barrymore and Bill yeah. Maher coming back in the production, but then there's Ashton not Kutcher. that we would talk about. Yeah, there's Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, and Danny Masterson. Uh, not mm-hmm. that we would necessarily talk about the Danny Masterson side mm-hmm. of it. And also, like, Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner, which we wouldn't discuss yeah. that. Yeah, Oprah shop herself talk. got bad press recently. Right. Like. She did. It, and, it, and it was kind of a drop in the bucket. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, oh, yeah, I guess people weren't caring that What's much. What's crazy is that Beyonce slapped Blue Ivy on stage and no one's <laughs> talking did that. about it. That did not happen. That, that did not happen. <laughs> hey, Hassan. <laughs> Hassan Minha. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, but for real. Uh, for the Fallon part of it. As I said, I'm a big fan, uh, I, and I, I do think that. But I'm not going to hold water for him and just say, oh, he did nothing wrong. Um, you know, I don't know him. I haven't worked there. People I know who have worked there said they had a great experience, and they it, things were good. But if people are having a rough time there, it is because of the atmosphere there. Right. And he was contributing to that yes. atmosphere, even if, like, I understand there wasn't a whole lot of uh, talk about 
things he said or did specifically. It was just like he's drinking and when he's drinking, he could be more irritable. So then people are on their toes and that creates a bad atmosphere. But um, from what I've heard from a, a couple few different people about his style is he's pretty hands off. He's, he's a little more hands off uh, than other hosts might be. And when you're the face of the show, I kind of feel like you can't be that hands-off. Mm. You can't, if you're the talk show host, run the production department. You just can't. There's, there's too many moving parts there. And from all of these stories that I've heard about all of these shows, the EPs are really the ones causing the turmoil in these places. Because I've heard it's rough. Oh, interesting. Just about everywhere people are stressed. Not the showrunners, it's more the EPs. Well, the EP... I don't know. So there are multiple show. There are multiple EPs who might not be there every day. Like John Stewart is technically an EP of Late Late Show with Stephen Oh, I didn't Omega. know that. Okay, but he's not like in control of of the tone there, right? Um, but one of the there's like one EP that's like one EP is more news focused on the news gathering, and another EP is running the production department mm-hmm. as the show runs. Uh, okay, okay, got you, got you, okay. And I hear from multiple shows, uh, or from multiple people about these multiple shows, that they all, they all could be pretty rough and stressful yeah. and, and difficult. And that doesn't make it okay, but it's uh, any... It's the nature. It doesn't make toxicity okay. Right. But it's a stressful job, period. And people are having a rough time because it's not really the right environment for them to thrive also like as an outsider i'm like oh it's a comedy show it should be happy go lucky you know but at but the end of the day stressful. it's a money maker <laughs> and rate and it's a tv show on right. a big network where ratings are extremely there's important. a whole lot more stress for the 11 30 show than the 12 30 show they pay little attention to a 12 30 yeah late night talk show you're kind of left alone to your own devices um we saw that when Conan went from 12.30 to 11.30. We're seeing that with Fallon going from 12.30 to 11.30. The suits are paying way more attention. Mm-hmm. And Seth Meyers has talked about it. He's like, oh, they're not really paying attention to me. Um, he's joked that Lauren doesn't watch at all, even though he's the EP of that yeah. show. But he's not, they all, it, you can only pay it but so much attention. But nevertheless, I think you do have to, when you are the host, while you cannot run the production department, you are still a leader. You still have to do some tone setting. And it sounds like, and I think it's kind of interesting that people haven't talked about the alcohol part of that story. Yeah. And what I feel is an appropriate way. They've definitely talked about it, but they talked about it in a very like, ooh, I hear he's drunk. Right. Oh my God, he was so drunk one day. Like those are the, Pull quotes that yeah. I'm hearing from the stories. It's not like he's in there throwing stuff at people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not hearing those kind of stories. And that's where it's sort of like, well, he's probably going to weather this storm. Because it's not like with Ellen, where people are like, the EP was belittling me and making fun of me, and she was laughing. Or I said hey to her <laughs> every morning for like a week, and she ignored me each time. Like, those are specific. Yeah. Even James Corden... 
It wasn't with his staff, but just when that story came out about him getting banned from the restaurant. Yes. Other people were like, hey, I've heard some <laughs> I have saw him do this. You yeah. Know? We're not seeing that with Fallon. So I think he's going to get through this storm. Yeah. No one's really talking about it anymore. Things seem to have gone back to normal. Yeah. Uh, for him. But I feel like he has... Um, he still has some sort of tone setting to do and some responsibility there yeah. on what he needs to do to make sure people feel good working there. Yeah. So that's why I feel about the Fallon part of this. Uh, the Russell Brand part is a tough one to talk about because it's a serious thing. Um, that story was very well written. What? Where did that get published? Oh, gosh, I forget which one I read it in. I have to say that I didn't know that there was a specific story that was... So there were a couple of different news outlets that um, did the investigating. Oh, gosh, I can't remember which British news outlet that I read the breakdown for. But they talked to hundreds of people. Whoa. They talked to like two or three hundred people, I believe to corroborate stories and they looked at text messages from a number and they confirmed that number was his Mm. and it's stuff like that where it's like you can't either you completely fabricated the story or it's just true yeah because there's they their reporting on it was so i would say transparent because they're not just saying this anonymous person made this claim Mm mm-hmm they're like, we went through it yeah. to double check it. We're, they're, they're not going to have an issue like that, I don't think, with this, of somebody pointing out loose threads and innuendo and stuff like that. Like, it was very, very clear. Uh, and it just sounds like he's a creep. It just sounds like he legitimately mm. did those things and, and it, you know, awful things. Um, and it's it's not... It doesn't sound good, and I think he's done. Wow. I think he is done. He's lost his agents. Oh, wow. And when it comes to YouTube and stuff like that, people, I think he's been demonetized on YouTube. Wow. Uh, I think, I don't think he's going to go away forever unless he gets, uh, unless this goes to trial. But um, I think... He, the only way he's going to continue is if he sets up his own website and his own yeah. way for people to, for his his followers to pay him. I think that's the only way. That's, that is, I think, his life forever if it's not in jail. Yeah. Um, I have no idea if he can get, uh, I don't know if a trial will happen with this. Who knows? Right. But fact of the matter is, that story was pretty well written. Sounds really bad. Mm. And, um, you know, the only people I see sort of feeding into him are the sycophants. Oh, yeah. And that's how he's he's just going to keep making money off of them, but it's going to be more direct and not from advertisers. I just don't see how he could come back from this. Yeah. I, I don't. But then again, Chris D'Elia just went on a tour and he's filling out stadiums. So I was like... Or yeah. not stadiums, but arenas. And if there are venues that still want to have uh, Russell Brand come to their place to do a show, then yeah. they'll make money that way, too. 
Also, like, it's amazing. Like, time does crazy things, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and there's genuinely people who out there who probably go to Chris Lea shows. I mean, I think this. This is my theory. That don't know what Chris Lea did. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't even know anything about that. They're just like, oh, funny guy, man, we're going to see a show. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and same with Louis C.K. Maybe, maybe not Louis C.K. as much. Like, that was pretty notorious. But I feel like in the future, there will be people going to Louis C.K. shows that just don't know about that chapter, you know, that you know, was so big. You're right. You know? That is, that is a thing. Like when, whenever, whatever age people were, I mean, this is, this is just true for any big news event. Um, whenever people who are like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old when the event happened, mm -hmm. they, and people older than that, they all remember it as time moves on. Mm -hmm. The younger people weren't paying attention. Like yeah. a 12 year old wasn't hearing about Louis C.K., right? Kay, right? So if they find him when they turn 14, 15, yeah. um, then it may have been late enough for that story to have missed them. Yeah. Also, there's just the people that just don't follow stories and just don't know who are, you know. That's a bizarre <laughs> thing, too, because people will know half stories. Yeah. They'll hear something and they'll think it's true. And that's the thing that's been refuted. Yeah. <laughs> like clearly refuted and, and but they don't hear that part. It's it's bizarre just like how people take in information when they take it in. Yeah, if they take it in. <laughs> and then how time can change that. Stuff. Yeah. But like and we've seen people do bad stuff, get in a lot of trouble. Like look at Chris Brown. He still has his fans and can operate. I don't think he's operating at the level he would had that stuff not, right. not done that stuff. But um the people who are into him now, I think for the most part, who are old enough to remember when the um, awful things he, he did to Rihanna happened, uh, the only ones who are still rocking with him are just sycophants. Yes. You know, like they're not, he, I, don't, I don't think in situations like that, there are people who, he lost their trust and then he gained it back. Mm -hmm. I think it's just it's the same with Bill Cosby. Like there are people who defend Bill Cosby today. They were defending him when the accusations came yeah. out. But I don't think anyone younger is going, yeah, you know what? Never mind. It so seems fine. that's an example of what I'm talking about. What did Bill Cosby do? Like, <laughs> that's a story I just did not <laughs> he never hear heard. about. Or um, <laughs> is he not performing anymore? <laughs> Um, well, he was trying to, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so that's the Russell brand of it. That's a very um, unfortunate set of circumstances for those women. Also, yeah. I feel like, oh, well, it sucks for those women above all. Um, and I feel like some young people and older people, like, I don't know, they were like, oh, a guy who speaks truth to power. And that right. was like, oh. It makes you go, can we not have nice yeah, things? Yeah. But, like, I feel like a lot of reasonable people. Kind of felt like when you started doing the YouTube stuff during COVID that it was a little snake oil salesman. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, it but, just seems off. I don't know. It's hard to know what's. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like you can still find, like, there might be some clip of, I don't know, Bill Mars or maybe even Russell Brands where you can go, well, that's not a bad point. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like everyone, like even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, we can't, it does seem like we can't have nice things, but 
Russell Brand wasn't one of those nice things. I hear you 100%. No, no, I get it. I get it. But like, you know. (laughs) But yeah, there were people who were like, finally, somebody's going to tell me the truth. Ah, he's lying too? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh. I just feel like, uh, the thing is like, no one's genuine. Speaking of which, Hassan Hassan Minhan. Hassan Minhan. Um, I believe that's the correct pronunciation. Okay, okay. Uh, so, there's a lot to this story to me, um, because it's, it's maybe in a way the least serious of these, because it's not as serious as a toxic work environment or as serious as, uh, What's going on with the Russell Brand stuff? Right, it's like his stuff only affected him. Well, except for that one joke um, about the ex, well, the the girl in high school who he claims turned him down for the prom, or like said yes to it. Uh, he had this joke where he said, uh, "When I was in high school, there's this girl I asked to the prom. She said yes, but then on the day of, I walk up and see some other guy like you know, putting the thing on her, on whatever uh, her dress, boutonniere. Is that what they call it?" Whatever the thing is. And uh, and he he alluded to, like, it's because her parents didn't want her to have prom pictures with some brown, some brown guy. Okay. He did that show before it was a special on Broadway or, like, off-Broadway. Okay. And he showed actual pictures of her. Oh. And I believe her current husband, who was Indian. <laughs> so, so much for pictures wow. of brown people being a problem. He showed actual pictures of them. Didn't blur the faces, I don't believe. Okay. And so they got doxxed. And wow. she and her parents were harassed for years online. And he doesn't have any remorse for that. Mm-hmm. So it did affect them. But in general, a comic fabricating stuff or embellishing stories isn't as uh, harmful. But in this case, it is sort of like it's harmful there and then otherwise, it's such a big question that it's like, well, what can we believe? You're some, yeah. You present yourself as someone who's speaking truth to power and you're telling lies. Yeah. So when it comes to him, I think he absolutely wanted us to believe the awful things he said was happening happened. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted us to believe that stuff happened. Yes. I don't care what he says about, like, I'm just using the art form the way people know it's you. He wanted us to think that stuff happened. Full stop. I don't know how this will affect his chances of getting on The Daily Show because I do believe he started getting a lot of traction as being the guy for that. Um, But I don't know at this point. He might weather this storm. But it all depends on how much the audience can trust him. And it does matter for a show like The Daily Show. It absolutely matters. Yeah. Because you you were speaking truth to power. Yes. If you're out there saying stuff that didn't actually happen, um, then you might not have the trust of the audience enough to do that show. So I, I don't know. And, you know, we might even talk about this in a pop talk, but it just seems like uh, there's a possibility that it could affect his taking over The Daily Show. Oh, I think so. Who knows? Like we were talking about with time and so many yeah. of these wild stories happening. Like, I just don't even know. But it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I feel like the thing about The Daily Show is that the hosts are so real and reliable. Mm-hmm. You know? 
I mean, I guess he could end up hosting it, but. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with that show, and I do I want to talk about the creating stuff, part of it, and sort of leave him out of it a little bit. But with The Daily Show, if you're going to present something Mitch McConnell said, you have to be 100% accurate. Right. That's how, they, that's how they've operated that show. You can't put words in their mouth. You can't change what they said. And you can't give it a meaning that they clearly didn't mean. Um, everything else can be embellished mm-hmm. for laughs. That's how comedy works. But the part that is in the setup that is supposed to be true um, or understood to be true when you're talking about serious stuff or harrowing experiences in an autobiographical storytelling style, people expect that stuff to be true. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. I think affects things when yeah. you make it up and lie. So let me go for like so there's. We talk about embellishing jokes. There was this joke of Roy Scovel's that he did on Late Late Show a long time ago. I thought it was super funny. It was Late Late Show with uh, when Ferguson was still there. Okay. And it's a joke. He said he encountered this homeless man who was asking for change. He gave him the ch- some change that he had in his pocket, and the homeless man immediately started knocking the pennies on the ground. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, what are you doing?" He's like, "Ah, these aren't worth anything." And, Maybe it'll be good luck for someone else. <laughs> and Rory says, yeah, you. Yeah, I remember <laughs> this joke. Pick them up. <laughs> he's, like, so he's like screaming at him, like, pick up the coins. Like now people are looking. He's like, oh, yeah, he asked for change. And he goes, you want some change? Here it is. No free rides. Obviously, he didn't yell right. at this man. Right. <laughs> pick up this change. That's obvious, obviously an embellishment. Yeah. Um, but the encounter, because I talked to Rory about this joke, went around when it happened because I was just curious. He did bump into a guy, and he said he was like, the guy was actually, you know, this transient. He had this very eloquent way about himself, and he, he presented what his, his idea of not having the pennies in a very eloquent way. But the rest of it is like an exaggeration for yeah. laughs. And we know that as an audience. We don't expect that he actually yelled at the guy to pick up. The, right. That's what makes it funny. Like jokes are just, the, the setups are just vehicles for us to just do a tag run yes. of, of bits. Find a pattern, find an angle, whatever. And we just do a, a run of jokes from this perspective. I don't see the embellishing of... We thought anthrax got on my daughter, so we rushed her to the hospital, and they're, like, ripping her clothes off and checking her to doctors. That's not the funny part. Right. Like, like that's the part that's supposed to be, we had this experience. Right. And you can say, I got this envelope, I opened opened it, and there was this powder, and my daughter was nearby, and I thought, wow, what if, it made me think of anthrax. I'm like, what if someone sent me anthrax? What if that got on my daughter? Like, how insane would that be? We'd be freaking out. We'd rush her to the hospital. Right. We'd be like, all oh, this stuff would happen. And you can do the same thing Rory did of just, like, making up that people were seeing him yell at this homeless guy. Like, you can do all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be that you made up that this really literally happened yes. to your child. Right. Uh, and I think in... All art, we are 
as an audience expecting some embellishment, mm-hmm. some creativity for entertainment purposes. We get it. It makes sense. It's understandable. But when people start talking about harrowing experiences or this awful thing happened to me, we expect that part to be real. Yes. If Tignataro and Julia Sweeney, they both, if you don't know, they both have a, uh, they both have a show. Tignataro has Tignataro Will Live. Mm-hmm. And Julia Sweeney has God Said Ha. Both stories that they share are about a loved one being diagnosed with cancer, and then they are diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And we expect those stories to be true. Right. If it came out that they both made that up and their brother or their mom never had cancer and they never had cancer, we'd be pretty pissed off. Yeah. Because that's not supposed to be the funny part. Yeah. If they, in telling their story, embellish some of the uh, anger someone felt or the... or or in the moment, talked about, like, oh, they were, they were doing all this stuff just to sort of make it uh, uh, feel like it felt in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's when we're, we're talking about emotional truth. That's what I actually took umbrage with, with what he was, how he defended himself in the fabrications. Yeah. He said there was an emotional truth. Emotional truth. Yeah, everybody kind of got a laugh out about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is clown behavior. Yeah. And I don't mean comedy clown behavior. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Saying that a horrible thing happened to you is not emotionally true. Right. It's just a bold-faced lie. Yes. Now, if, let's say in his story, because he says they they rushed her to the hospital and the doctor's ripping the clothes off of her, they probably wouldn't, in that scenario, in real life, rip the clothes off, right? Like, they have to be a little careful in it. But the moment would feel frantic. Yes. So you would express it and embellish it to be like, they're ripping her clothes off. That's emotional truth. Saying something that happened, saying something that did not happen to you, actually happened to you, that's not emotional truth. That has nothing to do with the emotional part of it. So that's just bold-faced lying. And there are comics I saw, Whoopi Goldberg said, oh, everyone embellishes. And this... One writer I followed on uh, Twitter was saying, well, is it much of an extrapolation to get a envelope with powder in it and then uh, think, like, what if this got on my daughter? Is that too much to explore? And it's like, he didn't explore that. He said it did happen. Yeah. And also, I don't think he got an envelope with white powder in it. Why in the world would we believe that that part's true? When all the other things that, all the things he admitted were lies. That part is not true. He did not get an envelope with, no one can prove it. No one has been able to prove that he did. The security that he had said, I didn't hear anything about that. Right. It didn't happen. So there's no, like, there's no emotional truth that you can lean on. And there's no way, but it's fair to extrapolate on that. No, it's not. He made it up. Right, right. And it's like, this is another instance of it sucking because he had his show, was it on HBO? Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. And that was, uh, yes. And that was like a great show and it wasn't run by him. He had producers. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was his show. So it was probably researched, but it's like, 
were those things fake? You know, since he's not an authentic, you know, truth-telling guy. Which like, makes it problematic what? for him to take over the Daily Show, yes, I think. But yes, yes, yeah, you know. Point, um, but, like, but that's it. Like, like, what about his his episode on Inu- Inuit tax systems? Was that accurate or not? You <laughs> right, know? Yeah, we, I'm sure it was. Like, they are. Well, um, that was part of the story uh, that he was kicking out the fact-checkers because oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> in a mind. writing session because he felt like they were getting in the way of the creative process. Wow. That happened wow. at least once. I won't say it happened all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he said, like, oh, it's just two of them, and the main one was in there, and it's like, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> like, I don't believe him. I don't. Yeah, Because I don't, we, we know anymore. too much. Yeah. And for people to defend him, it's just like, well, he's embellishing the way people embellish. For one thing, to say, like, well, people make up stuff, that doesn't make it acceptable. <laughs> we would be mad if, again, we found out Tignataro was lying. Um and I know that we would be because when James Frey wrote a million little pieces and said these awful things happened to him mm-hmm. and we found out that they were lies, we were mad. Right. And Oprah yelled at him on television about it. Like these, and that's an embellishment. She didn't yell. But, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but fact of the matter is people would get upset. Yes. And the expectation was that that part was true. We know that the way the joke goes, the parts that we're laughing at, we know that that stuff can be embellished or manufactured in some way. We expect the harrowing thing they say happened to them actually happened. And that's what makes the overall thing great. But it's manipulative to act like you're telling the truth when you're not. Lied about a bunch of stuff. Yep. It's super weird. And there's just no justification to the fabrications. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder how there's so much stuff going on that this could end up flying under the radar, but enough people are talking about it that it might be too much of a blemish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, but it's all right. Politicians lie, so why can't can't comedians? Why get comedians talking about politicians yeah, lie? Yeah, yeah. Politicians lie. We, if we accept that any longer, then we really just have no hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, there it is. On that happy note, yeah. there it is. Thanks so much for joining us for our first on-camera YouTube episode. And you can't see this, but Jason and I are doing a really cool handshake. Anybody who's not watching the video yeah if you if you're just listening you're missing out on this really awesome hand that we definitely do all the time yeah well <laughs> but the people who watch the video did do did get to see it so yes. that's the value <laughs> follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at there it is pod and subscribe to our youtube channel at there it is i guess this is a point since we're on youtube where we say like and subscribe and follow me on Twitter at Jason Bar Jokes and Instagram at Jason Bar Picks. Also subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 